Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. There is so much room for higher quality competition, and I think retail media is driving right into that opening. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It is truly a pleasure today to welcome Christy Argelon. Christy is currently the Senior Vice President of Retail Media, charged with really leading the expansion of Albertson's retail media offering. But more importantly, Christy is a longtime friend and colleague who I've had the pleasure of working with in many different aspects of her life. And I think, Christy, it's fair to say, not to embarrass you, but you have you have the moves. And the moves I talk about, Christy, are those between being a buyer and a seller. You know, I've always said that people who've worked on both sides of that equation, the move I talk about is, is body language. Buyers tend to lean back. Sellers tend to lean in. And I always kidded with Sheryl Sandberg when she wrote the book Lean In that I take precedent on that because I always talked about it as, as you know, that nuance of how you lean in or you lean back. You've leaned in and you've leaned back. You've been a buyer and a seller. When we first met, you were on the agency side working in technology. And then when as we continued to engage, you went to the brand side and you know, work together at Target and other things. But yeah, here we are in the basics. Here we are in the supermarket business. And uh, you know, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Then I'm going to shut up. But my first proper job, other than a paper route, uh, was working as a bag boy in a supermarket. So uh, I got my beginnings in a supermarket uh, as well. That was my actually my family's business when I was young. I had a, a, an experience or two, so I feel like it's full circle for me. But, but Christy, <laughs> let me go back to welcoming you, and thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. It's just a privilege and a joy to be able to sit with you today and have a conversation about the journey, because <laughs> I, I have definitely seen all sides of, of the business, which you know has been really satisfying for me and why I stay with it. Well, and as you talk about that journey... Christy, I think you find yourself now at, at one of the most interesting points on the journey. And when we at, at MediaLink give the presentations that you've listened to over the years, what we call our state of the state, one of the areas that we focus on as an incredibly important area in the business today is the advent and really the growth and importance of retail media and what that all means. And, you know, you've been involved in this now for a while. You're a veteran. Uh, for sure, in in this newfangled thing, and it's not so new anymore, called retail media. What I'd love you to really talk about is, you know, to kick us off is how would you define that? Retailers have been in the media business for a very long time, but a lot of it was the wall of TVs at the back of one of the big box stores or the signage that was sitting at the end of a shelf or on the aisles to advertise and market a product or the coupons that spit out on the uh, on your receipt at the end of your shopping trip. 
retail media networks really started to pop up when uh, retailers started to understand they are uniquely positioned to really know customers. And most adult U.S. customers, uh, retailers see them more than a lot of other, other companies do. And not only do we see them and know them, but we also understand what things they prefer. Um, so we have insight into true action that groups of customers are taking. That is an incredibly important insight into customer behaviors that a lot of other companies have. If you even look at a Google or a Facebook, they don't really know that a sale happens, um, but retailers do. And yeah. so the idea of marrying the database that we sit on top of and the audiences that we can build to marry that with all of the now the digital media properties that retailers own, and then even more so to apply those audiences to other media platforms that exist. It's just offering a really unique media option in the marketplace and in a marketplace that needs a little bit more diversification in it. Well, and, and Christy, you talked about it without actually saying it, but you're talking about that first party data, that, that, that information, and, and that's the gold, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you and I know this, my friend, and I think you know Rashad well, or, or certainly have interacted over the years with Rashad Tabakarala. And I give him credit for this all the time, and my team tires of hearing it, but he was one of the people who really crystallized for me when we were working on a financial services account together. He talked about data and likened it to oil and mm -hmm. said, data is like oil. When it's in the ground, it's not worth anything. It's when you take it out of the ground and refine it, it's worth something. And data is the same kind of a, a, a commodity, if you will. If the data doesn't lead to insights, then it's just kind of what, it, what we used to say, junk in your trunk. It doesn't really matter. You're in a position where as a retailer at the level and scope and size of Albertsons and the experience you had at Target as well, you know, you've got enormous data and the ability to, to refine that data with the marketer and understand how that's going to play out is, is critically important, right? I mean, isn't that part of the holy grail? I mean, that's the fundamental reason. And the if you consider the scale, so the largest retailers know at least half of the adult U.S. population and what their purchase behaviors are. And that scaled database and that to have it be that high quality, that high fidelity is unusual in the marketplace. And uh, retailers have come to understand the importance of that also, the importance of using their customers better uh, and to make sure that they are doing that within the uh, in relationship they have with their customers to do it within their preferences for privacy and all of the other pieces that go along with that. And, and, and Christy, let me ask a question because you talked about, you know, the in-store marketing that always existed. You know, we would have referred to, to that in the old days, I mean, about a month ago, I'm kidding, but uh, <laughs> as, as shopper marketing yes, right? in, in some fashion, and that was always a separate budget, you know, mm -hmm. with consumer packaged goods companies and, you know, any of the players at retail, that shopper marketing was a separate budget. Is that where this money is coming from? Is that where the retail media network revenue model comes from effectively from your perspective? Uh, that's only part of it. 
Uh, what we consistently see is that the shopper marketing budgets and marketing budgets, so brand marketing budgets, tend to be about the same size. Uh, and so there's plenty of revenue to be gathered through shopper marketing budgets. And those budgets are going more and more. Actually, they've gone digital. Um, in the mix of things that are non-digital, it has uh, remained steady year over year, while the, the amount of money that gets invested in digital is what the other piece, though, is that as data privacy puts pressure on what I effectually called grifters, and a lot of that um, third ring, lower quality data that's coming out of the marketplace, marketers are far more aware of the quality of the data that they had been transacting off of and are looking for better data sources and better media options that uh, tie better to real people taking real actions. Um, what do we call it? Customers, not cookies. Um, so it's real. It's like real people doing real things. Naturally, the results are going to be stronger. And so marketers are understanding the importance of what retail media networks can bring as well. And so we're seeing more marketing, brand marketing dollars move toward retail media networks. We're also seeing, though, and organization by organization, many are combining those budgets because of the discipline and what you need to prove for ROI is the same. And we've talked, you know, and this is a word that, that resonates with me more than most because I was a featured player in it, but there was a book written a couple of years ago, you might remember, called Frenemies, and it talked about the unusual relationship uh, that the marketplace had with people who were both friends and enemies, giving credit where credit's due, he didn't make up the word, but he was the person, uh, Sir Martin Sorrell, who kind of coined it in our industry relative to looking at primarily in those days, Google and Facebook as being both the friend of the you know agencies and the enemy of the agencies in that there was a, a fear they were disintermediating uh, the role of the agency. And you know when you and I met, you were on the agency side, so you certainly understand that. My question here is, we've created a real unusual new kind of frenemies approach here because some of the largest marketers in the world, Albertsons is a very large marketer as a buyer of media from other sources, uh, you know, advertising your product, your, your retail capabilities, and now you're also competing in, in a very real fashion. So, you know, it, the days of you just buying from you know, whether it's NBC or ABC or, you know, Paramount or, you know, the, the general publishing marketplace, you're also competing with them because you're going after the same dollars that they are. It's created a new dynamic. I mean, you understand it because you've been on the media buying side mm -hmm. and you know, now you're kind of really more on the media selling side. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you, you kind of twisted the, my frontal lobe of my brain as you were laying all of that out. I mean, abs absolutely, but they also benefit from us. Um, and so uh, if you look at a partner like Google or Pinterest, and they want to figure out how to grow the revenue that they get from a company like an Albertsons, most marketing budgets are not growing at significant jumps year over year. But the media that we would buy in service of a retail media network and the partners that we're building programs for will grow in the double digits year over year for some of these publishers. And so if they can operate in a transparent and in a true partnership, they benefit as well. Um, so there is a 
been in there for everybody. The other piece too, though, Michael, on the other side of that, and this is where that enemy part of frenemy comes from, in a world where Amazon, Google, and Facebook command 65% of the digital media spend that happens in the US, there's some room for diversification in there. And even if we, I only need to capture 2% of that in order to blow through my goals. So, right. um, you know, the, there is so much room for higher quality competition in the space. Uh, and I think that the, the data privacy and the new practices of uh, Google and Apple are accelerating the need for the marketplace to really show up in a better, more transparent, more accountable sort of way. And I think retail media is driving right into that opening. You, you hit on, on my button and my button is the issues that our industry is transforming on right now or pivoting on. And they're all the words that begin with the letter T. Uh, those words are trust, transparency, technology, talent, and transformation. They roll off my tongue because I've been saying it till I'm yes. blue in the face, but yeah. I haven't had a conversation lately where it doesn't involve one of those words. Yeah. And you just talked about it, transparency or accountability, trust mm -hmm. in the numbers, nobody grading their own homework, all the things that we've talked about at, in, you know, at infinitum you know, as, as friends and colleagues. And particularly now, those are critical words because it, it, with the deprecation of cookies and, and the privacy issues and all the things we've dealt with over the last year or so, the value proposition is clear. And you did mention you know, what we used to call the duopoly, but you couldn't take now in a, a fair statement and say it was a duopoly because you have to put Amazon in that equation. Because I think the number I read last year was that they, or this year, that they did $31 billion in advertising. That's right. Yeah. And that's, that's no right. longer a side business. That's a, I don't care how big, I don't care what your revenue is, $31 billion. You know, it, it, there was a famous quote years ago from uh, a, a, a senator from uh, Illinois, Everett Dirksen, who famously said a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking real money. You know, $31 billion gets people's attention as an advertiser. It does. Yeah. It does. The re you know, it's interesting because retailers study Amazon so much. Retail is their side hustle, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're in a completely, you know, they're not in the, re they're in some other business yet to exactly, be. Exactly, exactly. 31 billion is a pretty good side hustle, even by my standards. But, but, you know, Christy, I think you've said it, but I want to ask the question again, where do you think that money is coming from? Your targets create X amount of, you know, billions you want to see, the, 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 you know, we've certainly got Walmart and Kroger and Walgreens and CVS and Lowe's and Home Depot and Macy's and, you know, everybody's got their retail media network. Now, where do you think the majority of that money is coming from? I would say, especially for the middle retail, um, but even for some of the top five players, if you follow them closely, you'll see kind of this fast between we are just here for the endemic products that we sell in our stores and online. And then the next year there, we're a media company and then it's back to we're here for our endemic partners. So um, the bulk of the money, especially for the middle and long tail, is still coming from what you would typically call shopper marketing. Got it. But the real opportunity sits in those national ad dollars right. and how you're able to 
um, attach a, a return on investment to those dollars in ways that uh, a lot of brand dollars can't. And, and let me ask you a more um, provocative question, perhaps, Christy. Not unlike search, and, and when search became and still is an important uh, you know, tool in the toolkit for anybody uh, trying to sell goods or services, we had an industry that spawned called SEO, search engine optimization. In the retail media environment, do you think that the marketplace, the agency community, again, you come from that side originally, have they risen to the occasion to understand how to navigate and optimize, you know, the brand's position in the retail media environment as much as they should? I mean, I think, you know, selfishly, because I do still have a rooting interest, Essential have done a really good job of that. Do you think the agencies in general understand this market well enough or are they, are they still on a learning curve? Yeah, I think they're still on a learning curve, but we're, we've been seeing some pretty big steps in that direction. Uh, and, you know, you'll recall it started with everybody creating their Amazon specialist team. Right. Um, now those same teams are retail media. Yes. So they're expanding the definition and they're thinking about it more broadly and they are dedicating the staff to understand it. And then if you look at a publicist who bought Citrus Ad, that's a pretty big statement, too, in terms of how they're leaning into retail media. So we are seeing these um, centers of excellence starting to emerge. There's still a long way to go because what they're trying to do is take a different kind of accountability model and plug it into traditional ways of looking at ROI um, and plugging it into bigger marketing mix modeling capabilities that are you know, kind of templated. Um, so pulling it all the way through and thinking about how to incorporate those channels that can truly do closed loop reporting versus media metrics, I think is where the challenge still hits. And I don't think they'll fully understand the benefit of a retail media network until it can get pulled all the way through to how they measure. Um, that's why I'm in retail media is the mechanics of it are fascinating. The opportunity is really interesting to me. So I've worked both sides of the industry, all sides of the industry almost. And there are gaps in the marketplace. There are opportunities to have a better offering as another choice. Um, I'm not saying that retail media should be the only choice, but it is a different and improved choice versus where we've been as a media marketplace. And so it's super interesting to me to understand how the money flows, how things are measured, all of the components that go into being an effective media option. Um, and I just find it fascinating to be able to get into the strategy of it all, like what's the advantage to a retailer to be in this business, all the way down to now how do I set up relationships that are based on trust and transparency and where we both win, not one has to win at the expense of the other. Um, but also the mechanics of being able to prove the effectiveness. And that's where this category is still so nascent because we can measure the effectiveness of a campaign, but how we get plugged into broader marketing mix measurement, I think the next big frontier for us is a category to start to crack. Well, because you and I both know a marketing mix model that doesn't have the right data inputs isn't going to be worth much at the other end of it. And right. to the degree you can refine what you put in, you're going to get a better result coming out. I mean, right. it, it's funny how that works in all aspects of our life. Christy, let me ask another question. Uh -huh. You know, 
and I said this a lot at the beginning of the pandemic, the heroes in our worlds became different people. The heroes were the frontline people and, you know, retail uh, supermarket uh, where people get their food and sustenance uh, is about as frontline as you could be during, you know, the only place I went, as so many people could say, the only place I actually went for a few months was to the supermarket. I mean, there wasn't any place else you were going uh, if you if you could avoid it. But we also witnessed that extraordinary moment where things that would have taken five years took five days. And right. you were you were still you know in retail, not in a supermarket at that point, but in in you were a target at the beginning of, of the pandemic. And so uh, in, in fact, I remember sitting with you in uh, January of 2020 when none of us expected the world was going to change in you know 60 days after I saw you in Las Vegas in January of 2020. And yeah. you know you, 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 we all experienced it, and here we are at the other, maybe hopefully at the other end. Although. I did go to the uh, Dorothy Chandler Pavilion last night for uh, the Alvin Ailey Dancers opening, which was extraordinary. And if I had never seen them, and I will tell you uh, a plug, if you've never seen them, I'd seen them on television, but I'd never seen them in person. They're extraordinary. But yet everyone was still wearing a mask at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. And here we are in April of 2022. So, um, you know, we still are we're there. You know, those those heroes, those people, those frontline workers, you're at the forefront. What does that feel like? I mean, you you know, you're not in the store, but you are. You're in the retail yeah. store. You're in the digital store. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a couple of things. The store team members that show up in the store every day and are willing to um, show up in the stores every day to be able to serve their customers, to feed their own families. You know, I, I don't think we could appreciate them enough for the fact that they really kept all of us fed and, you know, the, the price and the commitment made to all of us um, is something that I think we will be forever grateful for. The other thing that just has been really fascinating to me is that this, the pandemic has taken some very small companies and taught them how to reinvent themselves and to bring themselves to the marketplace as quickly as possible in completely different ways. And yet they're still able to um, show up quarterly with really great earnings reports um, because they've been able to manage it. And I know that sales changed and, you know, uh, customers shopped in a very different way. And they moved so fast and served customer needs so well. Um, and those that did are the ones that have really come out on the other side, a better company, a better community member, a better employer. Um, what I love about Albertsons is that it has really this leadership team that Vivek has pulled together really knows how to operate fast. Um, I have never seen an executive team that can make decisions and solve problems within an hour meeting versus, you know, months of analysis. Like they just move quick. Their instincts are strong and they know how to get things done that really just their customers. So well, information and, from in-store and, and digital has been um, really something to behold. As you as you know, Christy, I'm I'm close personal friends with with somebody who was the majority owner of Albertsons, uh, you know, not, not so long ago, and I've had the pleasure of be, visiting in Boise. And and you're right. It, 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 not, look, nothing is faster than retail. I learned that in the beginning of my days in the media business. 
because we did when I was running a media agency in the 90s, we bought more supermarket media than anyone in the world. So I understood retail at the earliest stage. And look, I applied it to the entertainment industry back then because mm-hmm. we also worked for the Walt Disney Company. And I said, movie marketing is about as retail as it gets, except supermarket is really retail because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's real time all the time. Movie marketing wasn't that dissimilar because you were issuing a new movie every week. You're mm-hmm. issuing a new product every week and you'd have to, you know, build that retail demand, you know, to get butts in seats, you know, as you were opening a movie. <laughs> All for that first weekend, right? Yeah, you know, it, it, it was that magical first weekend. But, you know, the best way to learn, I've always felt the best way to learn media and, and the need for speed was working with retail. Yeah. And, you know, it, it goes back to what, what, what we talked about is, you know, you're at the core. Um, uh, but on that level, at the core, there's also a place where, you know, we hear it more in the auto manufacturing business right now. But the supply chain issues that we're dealing with as, as, a, as a country right now, mm-hmm. you know, has had impact at retail. I mean, you know, a couple of months ago, you were seeing those pictures of empty shelves in the supermarkets because you couldn't get the products there fast enough. Have we have we gotten to a better place in that regard uh, at, at retail, or are you seeing that, or, or still pretty acute? Yeah, um, I you know it's still an issue for all of us to deal with, and how we manage inventory, how we ne- negotiate inventory with our partners, all those things matter for all of us. What's interesting now is to watch again as these container ships finally get to arrive in port, to now watch the imbalance of now there's too much stuff. In fact, I. Called a girlfriend the other day. I'm like, I think we need to go to TJ Maxx. I'll bet they've got some good stuff on their shelves right now. Um, so, it, you know, I think we're going to see this um, too much, too little kind of adjustment that we're all going to have to manage through going forward and, you know, managing inventory and also making sure that pricing and promotion are meeting uh, customer needs right now are two areas that, you know, we really focused on as is the rest of the industry. Well, and, 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 you know, look, Albertsons, I think you're the, you know, help me on ranking number two or three largest food number retail two. country, mm-hmm. number two, right? Yeah. And, and my friend who used to be a significant owner uh, of Albertsons told me it was based on doors, the amount of doors you have. You know, and, and so, we a lot. <laughs> you got a lot. You got thousands of doors. Uh, we do. Thousands of doors. Um, but as the second largest food retailer in the world, I guess, or certainly in the country, the prognosis and obviously the market's been good to you because, uh, you know, food didn't go out of style and, and the ability to, to rise to the occasion. Albertsons has done it, as you said, hats off to Vivek, who, who came over from Pepsi, as I remember, when That's he joined right. Albertsons. So he came over from the product side. To the you know to the distribution and retail side, but but he came with a with a mission because he he's done such an amazing job in in really you know pushing the company forward. Tell me from your perspective, Christy, uh, if we were here a year from now, you know what would be the top thing on your agenda that's different today than today? Yeah, I think. Um... You know, obviously, right now we're focused on the launch. We launched just a couple of weeks ago, um, stabilizing the business after the launch and, and driving momentum is key for us. A year from now, 
I really want to be leaning way into different ways to bring audiences to the market, uh, a fresh way to truly integrate the measurement of what we do into some of the more standard marketing mix modeling that goes on. Um, to watch the evolution of the importance of DSPs versus SSPs, like where is in the marketplace? How do you tap into that instead of supply? And I'm also very curious about these publishers who don't have a really strong data foundation to operate off of once cookies and everything else gets pulled out of the market. From now is 2023. So we have right. stricter privacy laws and we have cookies going away. So it's going to be... A fascinating week, uh, week, year, yeah. a year that feels like a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Christy, let me ask you one final question. Most sentences today in certainly commerce begin with the word content. You hear it now constantly, content and commerce, content and commerce. I hear it all the time. And I hearken back to 22 years ago when I did the very, very first panel that I'd ever done in the marketing media business where I was a moderator, not a moderator, but a panelist. And the topic, believe it or not, it was Variety Magazine and the NYU Stern School of Business sponsoring a panel conversation. And it was entitled Content and Commerce. Mm -hmm. So it's not a new affectation. It's been around for a while. But do you see the importance of content? And, and I mean that in the content creation and you know how we're driving commerce through content. Absolutely. Um, that to me is kind of a foregone conclusion that we will get deeper and deeper into that space. And it is such an easy application when you think of food and the role that food plays in our lives and how we come together with family and friends. It's like so central to what we do. And the more that we can insert that kind of food and entertainment content into the shopping experience, um, the more we will inspire, the better we'll serve our customers. Um, so that's a, absolutely, we will be, be leaning and we already are as a marketing group, as a digital group, and that's a big part of the strategy. The other thing too, that is going to come in kind of the back door is that in-store, as it becomes more digital, is going to suddenly become hot again too. So this marriage of content, physical and digital, all converging, and that, that absolutely is something that we'll be talking about over the next year. Well, and, and, and Christy, you know, as I said, this is such a hot topic, but some a topic that I'm so interested in, and I know our audience is, I want to invite you back for a second chat. But, you know, sadly, we have to come to an end now. But I, I want to just say thank you. You know, we've had hundreds of conversations over the years, uh, but, you know, very few as enlightening as this uh, relative to the area that is the good fortune of you having skated to where the puck is, as Gretzky once said, because I think you've found yourself in a position now over these last few years, but particularly now with this launch at the center of the fire. And you know what? It's, <laughs> it's, a, good, it's a good place for Christy Arjelin to be. <laughs> I like the heat. <laughs> I get bored otherwise. <laughs> Christy, well, I want to thank you for joining me on Good Company today. I know our audience will leave uh, this conversation uh, more intelligent than they entered it. Well, thank you, Michael. It has been a pleasure to spend time with you, and I appreciate you inviting me. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. 
Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. 